14 in a row, but what have you done for me lately? Now we're going to go into a 10 days, two weeks, whatever, to the All-Star break, and it's going to be tough. Welcome to the Braves Report, the new podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that takes you inside the clubhouse and gives you the stories behind the score. I'm Jay Black with AJC Braves beat reporter Justin Toscano, rested up after his weekend off from the podcast and a uh, pretty good road trips leading to a huge week back home now for the Braves. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was a huge week. Three pretty dominant wins in Washington. The streak ends in Chicago, but they, you know, kind of salvaged that one, avoid the sweep with a win, you know, Sunday. And now they're going home for what should be a very interesting series against the difficult teams that the naysayers have been wanting this team to play for weeks. And coming up here on this podcast, we will dig into what is coming up next week at Truist Park. We'll also look back at how the Braves avoided a sweep in Chicago, what to make of this team now that the winning streak is over, plus how the Braves found Michael Harris and the ever-popular Ask Justin segment. The Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is brought to you by Kroger. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, welcome back, big guy. And uh, Justin, of course, was on assignment last week. And uh, how was the wedding? Oh, it was good. Um, so it was actually in Minnesota at a place called uh, Chisago City. Um, so how, do, so how, does, was, how does a guy from how does a guy from San Diego who went to college in Arizona who worked in New York and now lives in Atlanta end up at a wedding in Minnesota? So I went to school with this girl um, who was from Minnesota. She's from Minnesota. Uh, she Got lived it. on my floor uh, freshman year in the dorms. But funny enough. Uh, my girlfriend who met this girl after I did was the one who was actually invited. So I, I came, I was a plus one. I was, <laughs> I was a guest uh, for somebody's wedding that I knew before the actual person who was invited was, but it was a great wedding. But I mean, while I was gone, the Braves, you know, just kept ripping through really. And it was, uh, it, it was pretty funny to take that thing over back in, in Washington and just, I mean, the back-to-back three straight games, all the home runs, all the runs, all the hits, It uh, not a lot went wrong for this team. And then it kind of comes to a screeching halt for a couple of days at uh, Wrigley Field, but the Braves have not lost three in a row still this season. 6 nothing win on Sunday over the Cubs. Here's manager Brian Snicker sorting out the series. You know, it's a winning road trip, and, um, you know, especially I think when you have a streak and you lose a game, it's love to win the next one just so you don't get mired in something else. And so I think this win right now is big for us after, you know, after the streak was awesome, it was great, but then losing two in a row was – Make important to win this one. Obviously, you can't win them all. No, starting to look that way there for a couple of weeks. But is there any sense of any kind of disappointment losing this series to the Cubs or kind of bad? I mean, yeah, disappointing from the perspective of you, you want to continue beating the teams you theoretically should beat. But um, they look, they had won 14 in a row. In this podcast about, sheesh, a month ago now, we talked about the stretch of one month straight of teams under 500. Uh, the Braves have completed that now that the Phillies are no longer under 500, but at the time they were. The Braves went 21-8 and eight in that stretch, including a 14-game winning streak. I think looking at the bigger picture, um, the forest for the trees, whatever analogy or you know cliche you want to use, this is a very positive step. Even if they lost a couple games at Wrigley, um, 
they still feel good going back home, especially because if you watch those two games, Saturday's kind of one of the strangest games you'll see. Uh, and then Friday, a couple hard hit balls, uh, the wind just blowing in when your identity's hitting home runs, uh, that doesn't help you out. So between Friday and Saturday, this team had made 10 outs on balls that were hit over um, 100 miles an hour. Uh, and then over the first two games, they went five for 15 on balls hit over 100 miles an hour. That's like a 333 batting average. The league average on balls hit over 100 miles an hour is 573. So there was a little bad luck there. Kyle Wright got, you know, singled to death. Overall, I think they feel very, very positive about this. No disappointment, especially because they showed, you know, they can beat the teams they're supposed to beat. Now they're going to need to do it, you know, and we'll talk a little bit more about the matchups themselves, but they're going to need to do it against guys like Logan Webb and Carlos Rodon. And then, you know, that tough Dodgers team, including Freddie Freeman and his return to Atlanta. Um, But we're going to see what they're made of uh, really against that tough competition. But this was this was a great stretch, these 29 games uh, to really pull themselves from at the beginning of June, 10 and a half games back of the Mets to as we talk now, five and a half back of the Mets. So this is really great to gain some ground here. We haven't quite seen postseason Ian Anderson yet, but Sunday was easily his best start of the season. Six and two-thirds innings, no runs, three hits. Does he feel like he's starting to turn it around? Well, I don't want to say turn it around necessarily, but starting to really hit a stride here? Yeah, yeah. And for him, it was uh, – he'd only pitched, I think it was eight innings in spring training and a shortened spring training. He, he kind of needed a little bit to get his footing and hasn't really looked like himself for the most part of the season. The one thing that – he looked today, you know, was just absolutely dominant. Uh, not only was he kind of just pounding the zone, but he was really letting his defense work when he got that lead. Uh, his guys gave him a six-run lead eventually. Um, and the thing that he mentioned was how he abandoned his breaking ball in Washington uh, and only threw 13 curveballs. And when you throw three pitches, as he mentioned, you know, you, you got to have all three. Uh, maybe the curveball doesn't need to get a ton of outs, but it's got to be there to keep guys, you know, on their toes and keep them guessing. Today, he threw 18 of them. He expects to throw more of them in the future and work that in a lot more. So this is very positive, especially because the rotation keeps going, you know, on a roll from guy to guy to guy. They're really feeding off each other. And I think everybody's really giving the Braves a chance to win. Um, and you, you haven't really had many like of these blow up starts uh, in the last month, month and a half, um, especially because they've gotten Spencer Strider, who we'll talk about a little bit later for the upteen time on this podcast especially because he's really solidified that fifth spot. So Ian Anderson really feels like he's kind of coming around, and it's going to be about whether he, you know, the fastball command is good for him and whether he can work in that breaking ball because he's only got the fastball changeup and the curveball. Um, the fastball's got to be on, and then, you know, his changeup's great, uh, but he's got to mix in that curveball to get guys guessing. All right, let's talk about that longest winning streak since the year 2000. And Matt Olson is here to write the eulogy. You know, we were just able to win games different ways. Um, you know, go out and have starts like Charlie had today and win by one or go out and score 15 runs and, and win by, you know, a bunch that way. Um, able to, to get a couple of big hits along the way and make some good plays. And uh, that's why we had such a long winning streak and hopefully starting to win tomorrow. What did you learn about this team over the last three weeks or so? Uh, well, on Friday, I learned that, you know, I, I love covering Matt Olson, but if I were to pick somebody to write a eulogy uh, to my eulogy, I, I might not go to Matt Olson. Um, no, <laughs> I would I would he, he really greatly understated it. Um, he, he summarized it pretty well. But over the past three weeks, I learned this team is, you know, going to get off the mat. I, I think they're going to be fine. There was a lot of 
talk about the championship hangover and whether these guys were focused, whether this was, you know, the same team. I mean, you even had talk from the very cynical part of the fan base that said... Cynical part of the fan base? <laughs> yeah, the, the Twitter fan base that said, well, like, you know, this is what they were last year until that run, and they went on that run. What if that was a fluke? What if the, the rest of the season was what this team really was? Look, this team is good. They showed you that. They're deep. They're talented. They really don't have much of a glaring weakness. Um, I mean, Ozzy Alves is hurt now, so I, I guess you could cite like maybe a lack of quality depth in the, their infield, but with the DH, you don't really need as much of that. Um, they don't really have the super glaring weakness. They've pitched really well. The bats are now clicking. Um, and I learned a lot about the depth of this lineup. Uh, not only are they talented, but Ronald Acuna did not do much on this six-game road trip, and they still won four of those games, uh, continued the 14-game winning streak and you know until it got to 14. There are a lot of great things to like about this team, um, including I wasn't – not that I wasn't high on the rotation entering the season, but they've just looked a lot better than I ever expected. Um, especially because Kyle Wright has broken out like he has. Max Freed is pitching like a true ace right now. We've had that conversation before. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows my standards on an ace. Max Freed's pitching like one. Um, and then the bats, I mean, yeah, seven or eight of them aren't going to be clicking at a time all the time. But the fact that consistently four and five of them or three and four of them have shown up is a really, really good sign. And you're supposed to beat these teams that they just beat. Uh, so the fact that they handled that part of the stretch of the schedule shows you that they're kind of up for the task. We'll see how they handle the next part. Um, but this shows me that this isn't just going to be one of those championship hangover fluky teams that, that goes quietly into the night. Braves now lead the National League in OPS, by the way, just behind the Bombers out in the Bronx. Yep, that's see that that's huge. And if you, you took their splits on that fourteen game winning streak, they were you know they had five more home runs than anybody. They had more runs than anybody. The OPS was you know the ranked high up there. The, this is this is a great lineup. Uh, not only can they hit you know for contact and hit line drives into the gaps, but these guys can put them over the wall too. I mean they hit five on Monday against Washington, then five more on Tuesday against Washington. I think that's that's the best sign is that. Yeah, I know Washington's not the Dodgers. They're not San Francisco. They're not the Brewers. They're not the Padres. But you have to be able to beat bad teams, and the clear talent advantage was refreshing to see if you're a Braves fan because this team has shown you that against talent, against lesser talent, it's going to overmatch lesser talent. And that's something we didn't see as much in the first month and a half of the season that we've seen you know, in this month um, alone. And so I think that's a really, really good sign that things are turning around. Um, the two-out runs have been there, two-out RBIs, two-out hits. Uh, so the situational hitting's much, much better. Um, and really, it, it seems to be kind of contagious there, and that's a great sign. Braves didn't have a whole lot of losses this week. Of course, the big one is Ozzie Albies going down. He'll be fine. He's young. He'll heal quick. And, and um, you know, just, like I say, I just hate it for the kid because he just he loves to play baseball. And um, he's such a big part of our club here. It's, uh, you know, it's just a chance for somebody else to do something good. I feel like the whole the whole dugout kind of shut down because he, uh, you seen it right off the right off the bat when he fell. Something was wrong. Uh, limping back. Um, I mean that definitely that definitely hurts. But 
we have to go out there and continue doing what we do, uh, go out there and win it for him and for ourselves. All right, that's Michael Harris. Justin, do you have an update on his status? Yeah, so Ozzy Albies on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday underwent you know successful surgery, um, and it was performed by Dr. Robert Anderson in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And so now the thought is kind of, you know, he's, he's on the 60-day injured list, so he's not going to be able to return until at least the middle of August. And the thought now is that... Um, that, you know, it's a kind of a wait-and-see thing. They'll evaluate it. They haven't provided a specific timetable, but I've heard that the expectation is that he'll be back this season. So I know a lot of people, when they hear surgery, think, you know, it's season-ending. That doesn't seem to be the case here. Uh, things can obviously change, but they expect him to be back. So in the interim, Orlando Arce has, you know, been getting the everyday second-base playing time. Uh, they brought Phil Gosselin up. He made his first start um, on Sunday, went 0-4 with two strikeouts. Um, but RC has looked really good, so they're going to have to hold serve right now. And I mean, obviously, Alex Anthopoulos is open to adding, in, you know, in the infield if he can find the right deal. And he, but that person has to be better than Orlando Arcia, or it doesn't make it worth it. Because right now, the Braves are just ready to ride, you know, with Arcia the the whole way until they get Albies. And Arcia's two homers, nine hits uh, since Ozzy went down. How does this team change though without Albies batting the lineup? Yeah, yeah. You obviously we we talked about the lack of power from him the power outage or if you will um but that's still a really terrific bat uh it's another guy you have to contend with it's a guy who bats fifth for you when he's hitting well um it's a guy who you know if Dansby Swanson weren't hitting well could bat second for you like it, it's he's a very versatile guy in the lineup where you can hit him anywhere and Brian Snickers talked about that a lot like you can hit him anywhere and he doesn't he's not phased he treats everything the same um and even if he only had you know, a sub 700 OPS this year uh, to this point, he's a crucial bat for them. Um, and defensively, like Matt Olson has said before, that Ozzy Albies has the best range of any second baseman he's ever played with. Um, and they, you know, they had a pretty good infield in Oakland. So that, that tells you something. But the bat, I mean, even if he hadn't performed up to his standards, that's a two time Silver Slugger Award winner, um, a guy who's a two time All Star. Uh, he, I, I say he would have turned things around. And so losing that, you're just losing talent. But, I mean, the Braves have done this, like next man up. I mean, they won a World Series without one of the best players in the game, for Christ's sake. So I think, you know, I think they'll be fine. Um, but it definitely does. It's a blow to them. What's so great about being a Kroger Boost member? Free delivery on the Kroger products you love and more rewards, too, like double fuel points on everything you buy. Experience a new level of membership, starting as low as $59 a year with Boost by Kroger Plus. Learn more at Kroger.com today. The Braves Report is brought to you by Kroger. And man, it's going to be hot this week. No doubt summertime is here. Pool season is here. Beach season is here. And so is grilling season. And Kroger is here to help you turn up the heat and the flavor with new favorites for every dish this summer. Kroger has you covered for all your outside entertaining needs as well. So visit your local Kroger store today or go to Kroger.com slash grilling. That is Kroger.com slash grilling to get all the deals to beef up this grilling season. All right, so the Braves obviously dominated some bad teams the last couple of weeks. So what about the good ones? Well, we're going to find that out this week when the Giants and the Dodgers come to Truist Park. It's, it's a tough stretch, but, you know, it's everybody goes through it. You know, I think we did a good job in the last stretch of, you know, beating the, the teams you're, so you're su supposed to beat, you know, um, and that's not easy to do. That's really hard to do. And that's, um, 
which is good because you know at the now we're going to go into a uh, you know 10 days two weeks whatever to the all-star break and it's going to be tough Giants are three back of the Dodgers in the West. They've won seven of their last ten. San Fran and Atlanta have got virtually the same record and run differential as well. So what are you looking for in this four-game series? Yeah, I want to see how uh, this Braves lineup matches up against good starting pitching. You've got Logan Webb uh, in the opener, and then you've got Rodon, you know, toward the end of the series. Those are two really good starting pitchers. Um, And then you've got Alex Wood, too, starting for the Giants. Those are three really, really good starting pitchers. Um, and as of now, I think they still have a TBD in that second game for San Francisco. I want to see how this Braves lineup fares against guys like Webb uh, and Radon and Wood. Um, three, you know, good starters. Because, look, for as much as winning 14 in a row is winning 14 in a row, but they didn't exactly, you know, they weren't exactly facing aces. And so I'm excited to see what they're going to do against guys who are a little higher level than, than what they've faced. Um, and I expect these to be good games. Like, I think the Braves can hang with anybody. In fact, I think they're probably one of three teams, you know, with the most talented, you know, talent and depth on their roster. But I want to see how this Braves lineup fares against uh, those teams. Um, because I, I think I believe in the pitching, uh, the pitching, and I believe in the hitting, obviously. But I, the pitching... I don't, you know, I don't think the Giants have as good a lineup as the Dodgers um, or, you know, maybe, you know, even the Mets. But that's what I'm going to be looking for is the lineup. Can they handle the Giants pitching? Can they handle the Dodgers pitching? And, you know, we'll, we'll see because these Braves can score a lot of runs. They're a different team now than the last time they faced the Dodgers. So it's going to be fun. The pitching matchups on Monday, Freed against Webb. Spencer Strider will get TBD on Tuesday. Wednesday, Charlie Morton against Rodon. And then Thursday, Kyle Wright will face Alex Wood. And then it's Friday. And then it's the Dodgers this weekend. Freddie Freeman's coming back. Standing room only tickets all weekend long. And I'm struggling to remember a series here in June that will be this hyped. Yeah, gosh. Uh, well, I'm new here, but you would know yeah. that. And it's been a while. It would, I would assume it's been a while because you've got Freddie Freeman, who, by the way, wanted to receive his World Series ring in front of Braves fans um, yep. and you know, was such an integral part of this franchise. The Braves have moved on. Freddie Freeman has moved on. But there's obviously still a mutual you know, respect and a mutual love there uh, for the, you know, the years they did share together and the partnership they did have and what they accomplished during those years. Um, but, yeah. And then you got two great teams, right? Like you've got the Dodgers who were swept by the Giants recently, and the Braves will have been coming off playing the Giants. Uh, and then you've got the Braves who beat up on bad teams and won 14 in a row um, and had that incredible winning streak. And then the Dodgers who have won some great games and are still the Dodgers, but they've also been swept at home by the Pirates, and they're 1-5 in five against the Pirates this year. So... You know, it's going to be some really good baseball, two great teams, two talented rosters. And I mean, these, I think we're going to see an uptick in play and performance uh, by both of these teams. It's, it's going to be fun, but the Freddie Freeman angle makes it, you know, interesting. I mean, his time, you know, going to Dodger Stadium was one thing, but him coming back to Truist Park uh, for the first time really since the parade is going to be something. Going to be a huge week, of course, for Michael Harris, who already had another big week at his first big league homer this week. And then they just keep on coming with three. Just hitting the ball hard now and going out there and trying to have fun and win games for the team. You, you ever going to pull one of those one of these days? I tried today and you see where it went. So I, <laughs> I mean, 
I just got jammed on that one, but I eventually pulled some. But my thought is to go the other way. So. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But how much longer can he stay in the ninth spot? Oh, yeah, I know. Seriously. Uh, I mean, geez, it's a good spot for him because he can turn over the lineup. You put another fast guy on, you know, ahead of Acuna. You have another guy with great bat-to-ball skills who hits the ball hard in front of Acuna to turn that lineup over. But, man, I mean, in front of, you know, the second base spot, who knows? I mean, it's going to be it's going to be tough for them to keep him there for long, but I do think it works so well right now because of what he provides, you know, in a nine-hitter in terms of a guy with speed, guy with great contact ability, some power. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's hitting so well right now. Um, the other thing being that maybe not wanting to overwhelm him would keep him there a little bit longer, but he's just hitting so well right now through his first month in the majors. I really want to take it to the story that you wrote the other day about the three dates that led to the Braves drafting Harris. And I thought it was a pretty fascinating look at the whole scouting process that goes into finding somebody like Michael, even somebody who's in your backyard. And and you reported that it all started in September of 2018 at the Prospect World Series, which I'll admit I wasn't really aware that was a thing. Yeah, that was news to me as well. So the Prospect World Series was between the Yankees and the Braves, and they would play it down in Atlanta at the Braves Stadium. The Yankees would bring prospects, high school prospects, from the Northeast, and the Braves would use high school prospects from the Southeast. Um, And so basically it was a way to get the Yankees and Braves a closer look at each each of these prospects. The industry was invited, but the Braves, for example, got you know, three days up close with Michael Harris. Uh, so Chris Lionetti was the scout. Originally, he's with the Blue Jays now. He's the brave scout who is credited with um, finding and signing Michael Harris um, and helping them sign Michael Harris. So he's officially credited with, with that by the organization. And the interesting part of this was, and I had no idea about this. He said the hardest part of setting up one of these showcases is that you have to talk to agents and find at-bats for guys. And so they figured, you know, they invited Harris... They figured they would just let him pitch. He was a pitcher in high school. That's where the industry saw him going. Well, the issue was that Harris wouldn't come unless he got at bats. Uh, and he nice. told him that. He goes, you know, Mr. Lionetti, I know you think I'm a pitcher. Well, I believe I'm a hitter. Um, and so they were like, okay. So he's trying to, Lionetti's trying to call around agents. And he was, you know, he's telling me the story. It's just hard because you have to get everybody at bats. Well, Michael Harris shows up and they learn a lot about him. Um, he had a pretty good three days. He did everything really well. Uh, wasn't one of those guys that stuck out for one reason, just did had a really good three days. Uh, but the thing they noticed was kind of, you know, his passion. He was a quiet kid, but the one thing he was willing to fight them on was playing time. And that was, you know, we're talking about September here, and we're talking about high school seniors, high school, you know, juniors, whatever. These kids, you know, a lot of them had homecoming that weekend, and Chris was telling me the story about, you know, just how a lot of them were calling the Braves and saying, well, can we just play the first game and not the second game? You know, my girlfriend's going to be pissed off if I can't go to homecoming, you know, the dances (laughs) this weekend. And meanwhile, Michael Harris is fighting them for more playing time. So there's a a scouting, there's an adage in the scouting industry that goes, uh, these players are trying to tell us who they are. It's up to us if we want to listen. And Michael Harris was trying to tell him, you know, one, he believed he was a hitter. And two, he was willing to work harder than everybody else. So that's really that's really kind of when they found him, um, or really when they got to spend some time with him. Uh, Chris knew him from Marquise Grissom Baseball, um, which Harris was a part of. Uh, but he really, before that Prospect World Series, wasn't on the radar. He was a kid who was a senior in high school, uh, class of 2019, did not have an offer from a major Division One school. 
um, and didn't get that offer until after that when he, you know, committed to Texas Tech and was actually going to go to vet school. Date two is February 19th. 2019, so a few months later, which just happened to be the birthday of the Braves scouting director, Dana Brown, who saw Harris play for the one and only time that day and started to see the same thing everybody else did. I watched him pitch, and then I watched him go to the outfield, and his whole demeanor like was sort of changed. You know, he was on the mound, he was competing, but when he got to the outfield, it was like he had like much more pop, uh, much more life. Right. and excitement to, to plan. So you could tell he enjoyed the outfield. That was pretty much what they, you know, they saw, is they saw a kid who was a pitcher. The industry viewed him as a pitcher. You know, he was good enough to be one. He was like 90 to 93, decent breaking ball, you know, would have gotten better. Uh, they still believe he could be, you know, he could have been a pitcher if he failed as a hitter um, at this level. But the energy and the passion and that's what you have to have and i was talking to dana about that um and he just goes you know they saw harris slide really hard into third base one time and they you know chris and dana looked at each other and go wow like this guy's you know this guy's aggressive and they want to see that energy because as dana told me you know it's an 162 game season if you don't have that energy you know in a high school season you know if, you, if you're not born with that if you don't possess that it's going to be tough for you. The funny thing about that day, though, is that Chris tells Dana, you know, I got one of my gut feel guys. I want you to come watch him. Dana's got, you know, mostly an office day, so he can fly out there. He's, he doesn't have any games that day to watch. So he goes out to watch Harris. Well, Harris gets hit around a little bit on the mountain that day. Uh, and so Chris, in the middle of that, is thinking, man, like, Dana's going to kill me. You know, I brought him on his birthday, and here's Harris, and he, <laughs> he's not doing well. And I said this was one of my gut feel guys, and here he is getting hit around. And then, you know, he goes out to the outfield, and, and the rest is history. He stings a double to the gap. He slides hard into third. Uh, his whole demeanor changes. Um, and now, so they joke, you know, that, that Chris gave, you know, Dana the best birthday present he's ever received. Um, and that was the first and only time they saw Michael Harris, and kind of led to a few months later when they invited him to that workout at Truist Park, which was then SunTrust Park. And that was May of 2019, and you spoke to Reed Dunn, who was the the Braves scouting cross-checker. This is a month before the draft. The only time I've ever seen a 17-year-old perform in a major league stadium like that was when I was with the Nationals and uh, we worked Bryce Harper out right before we signed him. It was that level. I think he hit like 15 to 20 balls out and he wasn't hitting wall scrapers. I mean, he was where, you know, Freddie Freeman hit the ball. Usually people in the industry... Uh, who work for a team are not that, uh, I don't want to say amazed, but they do not, you don't often hear the comparisons to Bryce Harper. Now, they're not saying Michael Harris is going to have the same type of power in his career, but the fact that he excelled in that workout and left so many of them jaw dropped uh, just goes to show you how amazing it was. And I remember, you know, Reed then told me they had a meeting after Michael Harris's workout and they, you know, the scouting team was all like, you know, kids on Christmas talking about Michael Harris. They wanted to dig into his makeup after that, uh, who he was, but that workout, which was, you know, your standard, you know, workout pre-draft workout in terms of throwing to bases, fielding, all that stuff, you know, hitting, they, they said the BP was loud. Uh, he was hitting them, you know, and somebody else told me like he was hitting them where Freddie Freeman hits them. Uh, Greg Walker, who's a minor league, you know, a roving minor league hitting instructor who was, you know, been with the Braves forever, a uh, lot of organizational and institutional knowledge there, um, told me that a lot of times he sees those guys 
who go in for pre-draft workouts, high school kids, and whether it's because they traveled or they've got a lot on their mind or it's school or they're just burned out, they don't do well at them. But Michael Harris did, and Michael was telling me that, well, you know, he just trusted himself. He knew he had put in the work. He wasn't trying to do too much. He was just trying to be himself, and and it worked. That loud BP session kind of ends up, you know, they they had seen him and they believed in him, but that was that was kind of the final nail in the coffin. They'd seen what they needed to see, and at that point, Dana really believed in him, and uh, Alex Anthopoulos wasn't, you know, he didn't have the history with him because Michael Harris wasn't somebody who played all the perfect game showcases, all the biggest tournaments and, you know, travel baseball because he really wasn't on the radar. And it's rare that a kid who makes it to the majors in as little time as Michael did uh, wasn't on the radar, but he wasn't. And so Alex didn't have much, you know, much history with him. And so he thought, you know, he didn't know how high he was going to draft him, but Dana really wanted him. And so the third round comes along and Alex goes, you know, Alex, by all accounts, is collaborative and takes ideas from anywhere and trusts the guys he works with and goes, well, you know, Dana, if you, you know, if you believe in him, then, you know, I trust you. Like you've seen him, your guys have seen him. Um, and so they, they took him in the third round and, you know, the rest, as they say, it's history. And you've got this kid who suits up in a, you know, in a headband and the number 23 uniform and puts a hat on and goes out to center field for his hometown team, the team he grew up rooting for. And for him, it's like he's pinching himself out there because it's, yeah, it's sunk in a little bit, but he's still living a dream. Real quick, we've got to keep our streak up about talking about Spencer Strider. I did not know among the many unique quirks about the Braves fireballer is uh, that he likes his journal. Just way of taking your subjective thoughts and, and having a way to compare them to objective data. You know, like when you go back and watch a game um, a day later, two days later or something, you're, you're going to see things that you didn't notice for sure, you know, in the, in the game, in the moment. Uh, but when you come out of the game, like, it's fresh. Like, it's right there. That was, to me, um, really interesting. Cause Spencer Strider is very methodical. He's some. He's a guy who really likes his routine, which is why he, you know, probably fits mentality-wise better as a starter than as a reliever. Um, and he loves, you know, he loves that journal. So he'll, he'll write that after the game. So after Colorado, for example, he wrote a lot of curse words in there. He said after the game, <laughs> um, he hadn't done it yet when we talked to him, you know, after Washington. But he does it to blend the subjective with the objective. And his thing is, well, you can go out there and you can feel really terrible, but maybe it was good. So you're right that you felt terrible. Maybe you go back and look and, and you see the objective parts of it and it balances out. Cause his thing is the subjective and the objective, the truth is really, you know, usually somewhere in the middle. And so he does that, you know, as a way to not only blend the subjective and the objective, but to uh, figure out his routines. So he'll even, you know, write out routine planning, how much time he spent on this or whether he was tired after he did this or how he felt after a start while doing this routine and so now he's got out to a t so like for example he foam rolls for you know i think it's 35 minutes on the dot or something like that and then and so he does that all you know because he's really he really likes that objective data and some people only go by how they feel but for him it's like he is smart enough to know that subjectivity matters but the objectivity you know puts it all into perspective so he's there he's really uh that atlanta braves logo journal in his uh his locker has really been big for him that's some terrific in-depth reporting, and our Ask Justin segment is coming up. But, Justin, we do have some good news, speaking of your in-depth reporting. We've got a flash sale, and we know wow. you cannot get enough Braves coverage, and we've got our best deal of the year 
right now for a limited time, you can get unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution for six months for just 99 cents. So you get all of our Braves coverage. And, and how, how many stories do you write a day? Uh, usually it's usually it's two or three. Um, sometimes it ends up being four if there's a busy news day. But, yeah, this week I think, okay, so we're in Chicago for three games, and I think I wrote eight or nine stories, uh, something like that. I think it was eight. So, yeah, you get – I mean, you want to do the math on that. If you just wrote two a day, that's seven days. You get 14 stories a week. Yeah, with the Strider journaling story or the Michael Harris story, that's stuff you're only getting from us. So it's very exclusive access. We take you behind the scenes um, and show you kind of what you want to know about these guys and not only what you're rooting for, but who you're rooting for in these players. And you get our politics coverage, our breaking news coverage, our investigations coverage, food and dining, everything that's on AJC.com, our e-paper, our newsletters, which includes the new one from Mark Bradley, all in your inbox, all of our digital products for the next six months for 99 cents. So go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to take advantage of this best deal of the year and help power our journalism. That is subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. When you're looking for leading cardiac treatment, look to Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with five emergency cardiac care centers, so we're here when you need us most. We lead with more than 55 locations in Georgia. That means we're always in the heart of your neighborhood. We lead with clarity, because clear direction is better when it comes to understanding every step of your treatment. Northside Hospital Heart Institute. We lead with heart. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. All right, wrapping it up here with the best for last. Ask Justin segment kicks off for our mailbag, which we take your questions from Justin's Twitter account, which is? Justin C. Toscano. First up, Mason Hartley. Do you see us, the Braves, trading for another infielder or left-handed outfielder? Uh, No, because I think they wait until Eddie Rosario comes back for the left-handed outfield spot, uh, and you know they've got a crowded outfield as is. Um, infielder maybe, but it's going to need to be at the right, you know, price because it's going to need to, you know, if it were a big move, it'd need to be better than Orlando Arcia. Um, and right now Phil Gosson's kind of taken a spot and they can rotate whoever in that spot's really not going to play, but you know, they could do it for depth. It just have to be at the right price. E Goldie asks, what did Charlie Morton's most recent start show you? Do you think he's fully back or was it a result of facing a team that isn't great offensively? No, I think it's I think it's somewhere in the middle. The Cubs aren't great offensively, but Charlie Morton's curveball looked really, really good. Um, I think he got 18 swings on it and somewhere near you know 10 or something whiffs. Uh, he looked really good. Um, I don't think he's fully back. We need to see more. We've seen a couple of starts from him here and there, and then he's kind of reverted a little bit and gone back. But I think he's somewhere in the middle, and because the rotation has been so good, there's not as much pressure on him to be that you know horse right now. So he can figure it out. From Caleb Meredith, hey, Justin, when should we expect Tyler Matzik's return? Yeah, so Tyler Matzik actually could be, you know, I'd heard a while ago that guys like that are, you know, potential 60-day IL guys. Now, 60-day IL for him would be somewhere in July if they wanted to transfer him over. He's still on a throwing, you know, program and a 
progression. Um, so he seems, you know, at least, you know, weeks away, a couple weeks away at least from, or maybe a week or two away, who knows, from um, a while away from a rehab assignment. So right now he's in the throwing progression. Um, I don't know. My best guess would be, you know, not not super soon. From Anthony Mason, if Michael Harris is going to be this good, what do the Braves do if Rosario comes back healthy? Yeah, I mean, you can't, you just can't take Michael Harris out of there right now. He makes your outfield defense so good. And then, so I think Rosario, honestly, like if Duvall is hitting well, um, Acuna is healthy and Harris is healthy, I think Rosario is going to be that guy who starts against, I mean, he can start against lefties, but I think he's going to be that guy, that left-handed bat who starts against righties. Um, and you go from there because Michael Harris has just been too good and he's changed his team in too many ways to really affect much of his standing, at least in my opinion. From Trent, please recast your favorite TV show using only members of the Braves roster. Oh, God. Um, all right. I'm a big Criminal Minds guy, so I took a minute to think about this one. <laughs> uh, this was a tough question. So Aaron Hotchner would be uh, Matt Olson, just because I, I think he's got big Aaron Hotchner vibes in terms of just like a very you know quiet, subdued guy, but still passionate. Uh, I would say Derek Morgan. Um, very passionate, strong, uh, athletic would be probably Austin Riley. Um, David Rossi, I would probably go with, um, geez, that's a tough one. You've got to go with like a veteran. So I think you'd go with, for me, I mean, Charlie Morton. I guess he's quieter than Rossi, but I think he's that veteran steading presence. Um, and then, oh, uh, Spencer, I would probably go with... Uh, Honestly, I would go with Spencer Strider for him because they both seem very nice. intuitive, very, just very like cerebral. Um, and so I think he's very thoughtful like that. So I, th I think I'll do those four or whatever I just did. I think that would be, uh, am I missing anybody? Have you seen that show? I've, I've never seen that show. So I okay. Cannot, uh, okay. I yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's, that's, a, I mean, they shuffle in a lot of characters. That's the main part of it. Oh, and then Jason Gideon. I can't forget him. He's probably. Man, I mean, you got to have somebody who's intuitive. He would probably be Charlie Morton, and David Rossi would be like Travis Darno or something. I, I don't know, some some veteran guy. That that's a tough question. My favorite TV shows are The Sopranos and Breaking Bad, and I'm not gonna uh, touch this one at all. Uh, oh with, yeah, <laughs> with this yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would, yeah, I would, uh, I would not <laughs> touch clear Breaking that Bad with a ten foot pole in this question. <laughs> all right, finally from JP Swain, what is your favorite dad story slash? most dad quality oh my favorite like story my dad um yeah i mean this one's i guess is sentimental but uh i mean there are a lot of jokes throughout the years i guess so i could tell those but i think this one my favorite stories are probably like when my dad would pick me up from school like the the bell would ring at three um he'd pick me up after work uh you know four thirty or 5 and we'd go like downtown to the padres game uh because i grew up in san diego so that was that was cool um happy father's day dad I love you. Thank you for all you've done for me. But those are some of my best memories going to those Padres games. Um, and yeah, so it's really special to do this, what I'm doing now, uh, because, you know, I always remember those, you know, after school and like getting that same burger and fries every single time I went to Petco Park or even, geez, Qualcomm Stadium before that. That makes me feel kind of old. And my most dad quality is that <laughs> I've got a couple. So <laughs> I know we got to keep this short, but my most dad qualities are. The fact that I really want a lawn to mow right now. I live in an apartment, but I really want <laughs> I really want a lawn to mow, and I really want a backyard for a grill. Like just badly want a backyard for a grill. And then my other dad quality is that when I used to live in New York, 
I was on my uh, I was on my neighborhood's Facebook page. So I was I was following all the happenings of the neighborhood through Facebook. Ah. Um, so it was it was those are probably my few like a couple of my dad qualities. But yeah, I cannot I need a lawn to mow and I need a grill to to work with. No more communal grills by the pool. Like I need my own space where I can have my own grill. Um, that's that's when that's when life will take its next step, right? My old man's in the hospital right now trying to find his way out of there. So happy Father's Day, though, to Dad. And uh, get well soon so you can come on home and we can have a real Father's Day back at the house. So let's wrap it up here with our winners of the week. And, Justin, you'll lead it off. Man, my winner of the week is uh, baseballs because because they really – I mean, after after really having been so scrutinized for the first two months, uh, the Braves really helped these baseballs out, and they were fr- flying out at a record pace this week. Um, and so they've really got to take flight uh, and got gotten a little bit of the heat taken off of them in the media and the public. Mine is Vaughn Grissom. If you didn't know, this, of course, is Marquise Grissom's son. He hit grand slams and back-to-back innings on Thursday <laughs> night for <laughs> Rome. Crazy. They beat Asheville 22-1. to So Grissom is the Braves' number six prospect by MLB.com. He's got eight homers now, 45 RBIs in minor league ball, and he's got 14 stolen bases and OPS of 845. That, uh, yeah, that'll, that'll play, right? It, I, yeah. two, two grand slams and back-to-back innings, I, I love minor league baseball. <laughs> There's nothing like it. Yeah. All right, so we will uh, wrap it up there. And, uh, Justin, come on back. we got a big week at Truist Park this week. Heck yeah, no, yeah, no more, no more weekends off, so I'll be back next week. All right, so please do rate, review, follow, share, and subscribe this podcast. It really does help us grow the show. Tell us what you like, tell us what you don't, and we will see you next week on the Braves Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.